trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, this program isn't about convincing you that I have the answers. I'm right. And therefore, you should listen to every single word I have to say. Nope. It's more about encouraging you and myself at the same time to look a little more deeply, to dig a little bit further, to learn about the events that are shaping the world around us, to think more clearly and independently, and then, based upon what we understand as our own fact-checkers, to move forward and change the world in ways that only you and I can. I know it's a lofty goal, but I think you're up to it, and I appreciate you tuning in today. Great sponsors make this program possible. Just want to give a quick shout-out to them. They include MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, HSLAmmo.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, and, of course, GovernYourIncome.com. Links provided in my show notes, which, uh, by the way, I'd be very happy to send out to you. I... Okay, i got to take a little sidetrack here for just a second. I don't know how many people are listening to this program at any given time. And, and really, the number of people is not as important as the fact that there are people who are looking for the best information they can get so that they can, can better understand the world around them. In other words, information that's not just partisan-based. It's not just about rah, rah for our side and boo for them. You know, it's... It's about uh, being able to see the underlying principles that are at stake in, in virtually whatever topic is at hand. And I don't know that there are that many people out there for whom that's a priority, and it's okay, even if it's a very small minority. These are the people, this is the remnant that uh, you'll sometimes hear people speak of who are there to, to uh, embrace truth. In other words, truth values more. To, truth is of greater value to them than simply accolades or, you know, reassurance that, no, no, you guys are cool. Everything's great. Nothing is wrong, especially near Washington, D.C. or the Wuhan lab or whatever the case may be. So our numbers may be few, but it's okay. It only takes a tiny, dedicated minority of people who are more interested in truth than they are in soft, warm, fuzzy things that politicians may be tempted to say to them for the purpose of staying in power. All right. Having said that, I'm grateful that you are one of those truth seekers. And uh, every day I do my level best to try to give you information from which you can draw your own conclusions. You don't have to agree. I'll never insist that you have to think the way I do. But I have found some wonderful commentators and some really great news sources that cut through the crud. We live in an amazing time to have these resources available to us. And sometimes there is stuff going on, you know, under the auspices of officialdom that's really reprehensible. And you better believe that the, the media outlets, the, the platforms out there that are aligned with power, this is something they don't really want to talk about. It threatens their power base. If people knew what, you know, our politician friends were up to, they might withdraw their consent. So we need whistleblowers. This leads me into uh, the first topic of the day here, and that is uh, the the Julian Assange case. 
I think of all the different stories that I have covered over the years and all the different issues that I've just tried to keep an eye on to see how it's playing out. This one is the clearest possible proof to me that there are people who are willing to absolutely contort themselves into a pretzel in order to find reasons to keep believing in the state. Oh, the government's got to be right. It's got to be right about this. And the Julian Assange case and what's happening to him is a perfect example of this. Now, most people, because the media has been fairly selective in the way that it covers the case, if it covers it at all, hasn't really given a whole lot of insight. And that's where I'm going to uh, call in my friend, uh, Caitlin Johnstone, who gets right to the heart of the matter. So here is the Assange case explained simply. She says, one of the most common reasons I hear from people on their reluctance to wade into the Assange debate is that they don't understand it. It looks like a complicated issue to them, so they leave it to the experts. But she says, in reality, the complexity of this case is a complete illusion. It's very, very simple. It only looks complicated because many years of media distortion have made it appear so. She says the U.S. government is trying to extradite a journalist and prosecute him under the Espionage Act for exposing its war crimes with the long-term goal of normalizing this practice. Yeah, in other words, sending a message to other journalists, don't you try this either. That's it. That's the entire thing. She says so simple, you could sum it up in a single sentence, in a single breath. The most powerful government on earth setting a legal precedent which would allow it to extradite any journalist anywhere in the world for exposing its malfeasance, that would unquestionably have a massive chilling effect on journalism everywhere, in precisely the area where the press scrutiny is most sorely needed. Caitlin Johnstone says it's not any more complex or nuanced than that. She says the Assange issue is simple. But what makes it seem complicated is the lies that people have been fed by the media class, whose job is to manipulate the public into consenting to the agendas of the U.S. Power Alliance and its war machine. By the way, she's linked an article here, um, that I, or rather a video, that I think would be worth your time as well, and it's Can You Trust the Media? Manufacturing Consent Explained. Now, look, I know none of us wants to, none of us wants to admit when we've been duped, right? If I admit that I was duped, people are going to think I'm stupid or they're going to think that I'm naive or, you know, otherwise just easily manipulated. But the truth of the matter is any one of us could be misled. And even if you have your guard up, it's still possible to get bad information and run with it. I think you'll really find this video fascinating. Again, it's in the it's in the the article that I'm linking to in the show notes from Caitlin Johnstone. Now she says because of this mass scale smear campaign, you will be told that Julian Assange is not a journalist and therefore should not be defended as such. But she says this is first of all objectively false. Providing the public with factual information about the powerful, which helps them understand their world better, is the thing that journalism is. Which is why Assange has received many awards for journalism. More to the point, Assange wouldn't need to be a journalist for worldwide press freedoms to be gravely threatened by his prosecution for publishing authentic documents about the U.S. government. 
Remember, that's the that's the thing that landed him in hot water. It wasn't that he was speculating, you know, they they've done some really shady things as well as other governments around the world have done some shady things. It was their own damning words in their own documents released by whistleblowers that showed some of the just blackness of heart and just hidden purposes that we weren't supposed to be aware of. She says, uh, uh, Caitlin Johnstone says, you will be told that Assange helped Trump win with WikiLeaks publications that harmed the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign, and therefore you should not support WikiLeaks. But the Assange extradition case has nothing to do with the 2016 WikiLeaks releases. She says the entire case revolves around the Chelsea Manning leaks from years earlier about the U.S. military's scandalous abuses in Iraq and Afghanistan. More to the point, only the most infantile of narcissists would believe that it's legitimate to imprison people for hurting your preferred candidate's political campaign. Now, you'll be told that Assange is being prosecuted for hacking, not journalism, because the U.S. indictment alleges that Assange tried to help Manning crack a password while taking classified documents. But it does not allege that Assange made any attempt to help Manning gain access to those documents. The indictment says that Manning already had access to the computers in connection with her duties as an intelligence analyst. And that Assange's attempts would only have made it more difficult for investigators to determine the source of the illegal disclosures. As explained in 2019 by journalists Glenn Greenwald and Micah Lee, the latter of whom happens to despise Assange, this means Assange was engaged in the standard journalistic practice of source protection. And anyone who says Assange tried to hack into U.S. government servers is either lying or misinformed. Caitlin Johnstone says you'll be told Assange is a Russian. He's an asset of Russia because of still unproven allegations by the U.S. government that the Kremlin was behind the 2016 releases. But she says this claim is completely baseless and, again, completely unrelated to the 2010 Manning publications for which Assange is actually being prosecuted. No serious media publication has ever reported that the Assange extradition case has anything to do with the 2016 WikiLeaks publications. But because so many people heard Assange's name mentioned during the mass media's discredited Trump-Russia collusion narratives, you'll constantly see people assuming one is related to the other. All right, I'm going to tap the brakes here. We've got to pause for a quick commercial timeout. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Sharing with you an article here from Caitlin Johnstone. And it's about the Assange case explained simply. And this really is good stuff. I know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of muddying of the waters out there, and sometimes I don't wonder if if some of the mainstream you know press organs out there that's their job. It's not so much to to present the facts and let the public make up their own minds. It's it's more to keep the public on a narrative that uh, is in that is favorable to the people who are in power. I know it sounds conspiratorial. I know people oh, was your tinfoil hat a little too tight. 
But it seems to me that uh, that makes perfect sense. If if you were in power, you would want to have somebody running interference for you. They're like blockers on you know on a football team, somebody who keeps people from getting a little too close to where you don't want them to be. Which is why when you watch uh, you know mainstream or mass media or heritage media news, you'll find that there's uh, there's an incredible amount of uniformity in the reporting. There's there's a definite narrative. There's a storyline that has to be followed. And some things you just simply are not allowed to question, or at least it never would occur to the press to question that. You know, it's Donald Trump, bad. You know, Joe Biden, good. And the, the fact that, uh, you know, so many will bend over backwards to try to support Joe Biden in, in things that uh, just make no sense whatsoever. But in this case, Julian Assange was, first of all, holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London for years before being forcibly removed after, after uh, British authorities betrayed him and took him into, into uh, custody. You know, actually, it was Ecuadorian authorities who betrayed him and handed him over to the British, who dragged him kicking and screaming out of the embassy. And he's been sitting in Belmarsh Prison ever since, horribly treated. I mean, there's, uh, there's some talk here. He just suffered a stroke. Um, his father... Julian Assange's father says that uh, he was forcibly vaccinated while in Belmarsh Prison. That's probably another story for another time, but the bottom line is this guy has been sitting there waiting as the U.S. has demanded, hand him over, hand him over. We want to try him for espionage. If they succeed in trying and convicting him for espionage, regardless of what the sentence is, I mean, I think I think you could face a potential death penalty, you know, for, for espionage. It's, it's the message it sends to journalists around the world. Do not report on the shading go, shady goings-on of people who are very powerful. And I think that's the whole point. All those smears, all of those ideas that, uh, you know, well, you know, he's the reason Trump won in 2016. Not true. People just conflate it because, again, the press corps has served to muddy the waters and make it very hard for people who are busy and living their lives, you know, reading headlines, skimming stories, to really get a feel for what's going on. Caitlin Johnston says, Do you see how what's actually happening with the Assange case is extremely simple and easy to understand, but all the narratives justifying his persecution make it necessary to engage in a bunch of complicated counterarguments? She points out this obfuscation didn't happen by accident, which is why she has refuted as many distortions as possible in a long article which she wrote after Assange's imprisonment. And these are linked, by the way, in her article, which you can find in my show notes. The most powerful government in the world is trying to lock up a foreign journalist for telling the truth. It's about as insanely tyrannical an abuse as you could possibly come up with. It's obvious, she says, as it is as it gets. The Assange case is so simple and so common sense, it should be one of the most mainstream, normie positions anyone could possibly have, right up there with believing that racism is bad and child molesters should be stopped. But it's only because Imperial spinmeisters muddy the water with lies and distortions that this isn't happening. Caitlin Johnstone says everyone should oppose the agenda to normalize the imprisonment of journalists who embarrass the U.S. empire. That shouldn't be a job left to fringe bloggers or podcasters and YouTubers. It should be happening in every section of society across the entire political spectrum. 
and the fact that a very large sector of the population fails to see this as a priority issue shows you just how brainwashed the emperor's propaganda engine has made us. Those are harsh words. I don't know, maybe that stings you a little bit. Hey, I'm not brainwashed. No, actually we all are. Every single one of us. And every one of us is at some different stage of finding our way out of that swamp of misinformation and and wading onto firmer ground and standing on truth. You know, I've spoken before about, uh, thank goodness, for the, for the people who have, have found their way out of that swamp ahead of us and left convenient trail markers for those of us who are following in their footsteps. By the way, that doesn't mean that we're all marching in lockstep. It just means that we're getting further away from the, the cloud of uh, deceit and distortion that's supposed to keep us just wandering around in the dark, bumping into one another occasionally. And wherever you are in that journey, rest assured, you are doing the right thing. But it actually takes effort. You don't, uh, you don't become better informed through osmosis. You, you can't get it from, from consuming pre-digested sound bites day in and day out. This is how I know when people are very serious about, uh, about understanding the world around us. I know that because I can see in how they go about researching and digging for truth. And I'm not going to pretend that it's just the simplest thing in the world. You just look around and there it is. No, you have to look for it. You have to uncover it. You have to weigh it and assay it and, and, and make sure is this, is this legit or not. There's a lot of fool's gold out there if you get my drift. All I can tell you is that it's worth it. To be able to own your worldview, to be able to think past whatever the headlines say and whatever the knee-jerk reaction is that, you know, those who write those headlines are trying to elicit. You've got to become the, the human truth detector or fact checker for your own worldview. I've never seen the kind of censorship that we are seeing now. And I've, I've paid pretty close attention for the better part of the last 30-some-odd years. I've understood that there's bias. I've understood that there's spin. And certain people have agendas. And, you know, frankly, I guess we all have an agenda. My, my agenda is, of course, to get people to think more clearly and independently about the world around them. I've also been known to call it as, you know, my, my job is to brainwash people into thinking for themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be a contradiction. But the bottom line is, if you are dependent on what other people are telling you is going on. In a way, you're giving them power over you. The old newspaper writer, Charlie Reese, he passed away a few years back, but a long-time journalist, I think for like 50 years, he was writing for the Orlando Sentinel. He had this, uh, this test that has always stuck with me, and I've actually found it very useful through my own life. And that is, whenever you're tempted to take a really hard stance on something, some issue or something pops up in the news... Charlie Reese would say, get in the habit of asking yourself, what do I actually know about this issue or what do I actually know about this person who's in the headlines that wasn't told to me by someone else? See, and then you have to start going, oh, well, now, when you put it that way, it's possible that there are some things I don't fully understand or don't have, you know, 
really great comprehension of. It's just a little bit of humility. It's just the understanding that, okay, sometimes the truth isn't going to be neatly wrapped up and sitting on your front porch, you know, like, like a Christmas present. You got to go looking for it. And hopefully I'm, I'm pointing you in some directions that will connect you with people who actually have done the really hard work. But even they won't expect you to simply take my word for it, after all. You know, I've got these letters next to my name, or I write for this publication or that publication. I hearken back to the idea that uh, what I look for in, in the sources that inform my worldview is light, more so than just agreement or, you know, partisan purity. It's a habit that served me well, so I'm going to keep doing it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Just a quick shout-out here to LifesavingFood.com. Oh, my word, what a special they are offering my listeners. This is food storage. And, you know, a lot of people are starting to wake up to the idea, maybe it would be a really great idea for us to get started on a food storage program. Well, if those words have gone through your mind, here's some good news for you. Life-saving food through Christmas Eve is offering my listeners the following perks. You browse their website, you can find everything from 72-hour kits to simple grab-and-go buckets to, um, I think I really like the seven-day dry bag grab-and-go pack, which is, it's, it's a legit dry bag like you would use, you know, for whitewater rafting. But it's got food storage in it. So something you could have pre-positioned if you guys had to, if you had to grab it and run, you'd have easy, easy meals, just add water, but you don't ha- also have something to carry them in that, uh, that would protect them from the elements. So here's the deal. If you use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout, get a 30% discount, free shipping, no sales tax. That's only through Christmas Eve, and it's only for my listeners at lifesavingfood.com. All right, I'm going to jump into something here that's a little controversial, okay? It's a lot controversial. If you haven't been following Dr. Peter Peter McCullough, he has offered a very principled and informed counterpoint to the narrative that's been pushed by those uh, in in the official response to COVID. In other words, Dr. Fauci and, and his media enablers have a very particular narrative that we are expected to follow. And Dr. Peter McCullough is, uh, well, first of all, he's a very well-qualified, well-informed, and well-trained physician in areas that uh, pertain to, you know, uh, immunology and so forth. And he uh, he did an interview with Joe Rogan recently that is causing some very serious heartburn for these COVID narrative managers. I've got an article here where uh, Dr. McCullough is describing some of the sinister ways in which doctors worldwide were restricted from treating COVID patients. And and look, just mentioning this, I understand that that I'm I'm daring the algorithms of various social media platforms to to hit the mute button on on this program. But I think this is worth considering. I'm not saying you have to agree with with, uh, Dr. McCullough, but he's been a very 
credible voice. In fact, I I want to I want to give you a quick uh, quick rundown here. Tom Woods came across this the other day. Uh, he came across the Joe Rogan interview with Dr. Peter McCullough, and one of the things he points out is, you know, this has got to, this has got the the enablers of Dr. Fauci really tied up in knots. And they try to make out Dr. McCullough, well, he's just this crank, he's this, you know, rogue physician who's gone off the reservation. But they have a very hard time painting him as some kind of wild-eyed extremist that you shouldn't listen to. And Tom Woods, when, when answering the question, why is Dr. McCullough so effective? Well, he has, at least what appears to the layman, absolute command of science and the existing literature on this subject. His articles have been in the American Journal of uh, Medics of Medicine on early outpatient treatment of COVID-19. It's been very widely read in his own field. He's one of the, he's the single most published physician in history. So he actually has a track record of pretty strong credibility. He also acknowledges when his opponents make a reasonable point. And he has an even temperament, he's calm, he's confident, he's unflappable, he's not spittle-flinging, he's He's making an impression on people, and it's it's something that, the, again, the narrative managers find very inconvenient. This is an article from The Defender, which is from the Children's Health Defense, by Jeremy Lofredo. Dr. McCullough describes sinister ways doctors worldwide are restricted from treating COVID patients. He says, on the latest episode of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, Dr. Peter McCullough and Joe Rogan discussed the pandemic, COVID vaccines, alternative COVID treatments, and what McCullough termed the mass psychosis that's come over the medical profession amid the COVID crisis. Now, McCullough, a practicing internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist, and chief medical advisor of the Truth for Health Foundation, told Rogan from the outset of the pandemic there were a number of sinister ways that doctors worldwide were restricted from prescribing hydroxychloroquine even though the science shows it's an effective early treatment for COVID patients and it's already approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to treat other illnesses. McCullough referred to hydroxychloroquine as the leading drug worldwide to treat COVID-19. Now, he explained that early on in the pandemic, the U.S. had the right idea and stockpiled hydroxychloroquine, only later to refuse to release any of the millions of doses from the stockpile. At the same time, he explained, France redesignated hydroxychloroquine from an over-the-counter drug to prescription only, making it much more difficult for people to use. In Australia, doctors who used their best judgment and prescribed hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID patients were threatened with jail time, according to Dr. McCullough. During this time, one of the world's largest hydroxychloroquine manufacturing facilities mysteriously burnt down outside Taipei, Taiwan. And Dr. McCullough says, it seems to me early on there was an intentional, very comprehensive suppression of early treatment in order to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization, and death. And it seems to be completely organized and intentional in order to create acceptance for and then promote mass vaccination. McCullough told told Rogan, the reason so few medical professionals are willing to speak up against the new anti-scientific COVID regime is they're under a mass formation psychosis, meaning the COVID fear-mongering and propaganda has placed almost the entire professional field in a state of irrational complacency. 
He says in the U.S., only about 500 doctors really understand what's going on. And there's about a million. When asked by Rogan why so many people are fine after getting a COVID vaccine, McCullough said, well, the human body's a miraculous thing, but he shared his worries about the health ramifications of an ongoing booster campaign, saying the spike protein stays in the body for at least 15 months. If we start vaccinating every six months, I think the spike protein will never get out of the body. That spike protein accumulates and progressive accumulation is very worrisome. And again, there's a link to the Joe Rogan interview. It's, it's you know, two hours and 45 minutes. So if you're going to watch it, give yourself some time. But I think the question comes down to how, how hard are you willing to work to really understand what's going on? And hopefully it's hard enough that uh, you'd be willing to sit for a bit and, you know, read and, and uh, listen and try to understand what's, what's being said there. I'm not saying Dr. McCullough has all the answers, but he's been very consistent in his message. And he hasn't, you know, tested the wind. Is it safe to say this or is this going to make me popular? I think he has a lot more credibility than a lot of the folks at the top of that uh, medical food chain, if you will. And especially I, I like the fact that he's not trying to force people into doing something that they don't want to do unlike certain politicians and, you know, other medical experts that, uh, that seem to have exactly that in mind. I've got the link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Please feel free to check it out for yourself. I'm going to take a moment here to, uh, to just thank one of my sponsors, that being the Heather Turner team from Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. I, you know, I am happy to see that there are people who are relocating because they have found, for one reason or another, that the situation they're in is intolerable. In fact, uh, who was it? Time Magazine named Elon Musk the person of the year, which we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. I noticed that U-Haul, the uh, moving truck company, actually named California Governor Gavin Newsom its salesperson of the year. A lot of people getting out of uh, California because they just can't handle what, uh, what's coming from, from that state's political administration. And if you're moving to the Intermountain West, well, guess what? You are coming to a place where, yep, there are many islands of freedom to be found. However, there are also a lot of people coming to the Intermountain West, which means uh, when you find the home of your dreams, it's, uh, it's going to be some stiff competition. If you don't have your financing squared away, and I mean really squared away, well, you could lose out on your dream home. This is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage comes in. She has decades of experience. She can get the job done for you from VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages. Here's how you contact her. You can call Heather at 435-703-4522. If you're in St. George, Utah, swing by her office at 619 South Bluff Street. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, but most importantly, I'm encouraging you, reach out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage because Heather is one of the best people that you are likely to encounter, as well as being very, very good at what she does, which is getting people that home loan in a timely fashion. You'll also find an email link in my show notes. You can click on that, send her a message. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back. You know, if you have ever read any of Thomas Jefferson's writings, I mean, read them for yourself. It's not like the guy, you know, he hardly wrote anything. No, he was a very prolific writer. But it's very easy to see why he is widely considered the architect of liberty in America. Very, very bright guy. Um, I still think I probably, I lean more towards the Jeffersonian approach to life than I, than I could have le- leaned towards the Hamiltonian consolidationist approach of, now government still has to be powerful enough to, to make it all stick. Jefferson was much more of the idea of, you know what? Give people maximum freedom. Keep government out of their way as much as possible. Thwart the consolidationists and watch your country grow and prosper, which is really what happened for pretty much the first hundred plus years of America's existence. It wasn't until early in the 20th century that we really completely went off the rails. And since then, it, it has not been a very positive trajectory, to put it mildly. You know, it's it's a safe bet. You, we just watched here the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, that uh, it wasn't enough to tear down and take down the statue of, of uh, Robert E. Lee from uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. But now it's actually being melted down and turned into, I don't know what it's going to be turned into, something it's it's been handed over, the, the, the statue's been dismantled and it's going to be uh, melted down and turned into something much more woke, which I think is right out of the communist playbook. But okay, whatever. But it's it's a it's a clear thing to see that the the history erasers will be coming for Thomas Jefferson probably sooner than later. And I've got an essay here from Paul Krause. Found this on uh, I believe this is AmericanThinker.com in praise of Thomas Jefferson. Now you may still have some misgivings. Well, what about Sally Hemming and stuff? I you know I can't answer that for you. All I can say is if you've read the guy's writings, you will quickly understand. This is not some evil, you know, henchman out there trying to, you know, twist the world into something that's a little more to his liking. Very, very intelligent, very brilliant, and I think far-sighted person who stood on the side of liberty. But I want you to hear what uh, what Paul Krauss has written here. He says the anti-American left constantly lies. Now that's not surprising, but what's troubling is their bid to twist all American history into the narrative of the 1619 Project, something that many historians have critiqued as containing misleading and factual inaccuracies. A case in point is the man whom Democrats once revered, Thomas Jefferson. Now, to say that Jefferson was a complex, complicated man is an understatement. Virtually everyone knows that Jefferson was a complex and complicated man. New York City's recent removal of his statue from their city hall indicated his legacy of slavery was the main reason. Now, while it's true that Jefferson owned slaves, that is not his legacy regarding slavery. In fact, Jefferson was the most ardent abolitionist and anti-slavery politician in the early republic. His early draft of the Declaration condemned slavery and blamed the English crown for its imposition in North America and the filth that it brought. In 1778, in the midst of the American Revolution... Jefferson lobbied and successfully convinced the Virginia legislature to ban the import of slaves into the state. 
it was the first state after the Declaration of Independence to outlaw the slave trade. As governor, while the war raged in the southern states, Jefferson uh, supported African-Americans serving in the Virginia militia to be compensated with land and money for their service in order to advance the cause of liberty. After the Constitutional Convention and the formation of the American Republic, the expansion of slavery was a contentious issue as involved uh, as it involved westward, the westward expansion. Jefferson took his stand against the expansion of slavery when he authored the Northwest Ordinances, thus preventing the Midwest from having the peculiar institution expanding into its lands. Jefferson indirectly ensured that the great agrarian and industrial heartland of the U.S., so instrumental in the Union's victory in the Civil War, would become the center of Republican, the Republican Party and anti-slavery movement, which would later prove to be the arsenal of democracy in the 20th century. As president, Jefferson advocated Congress to ban the international slave trade in the United States. And did you know Congress complied? And Jefferson signed the Act Prohibiting Importation of Slaves into Law. But while the domestic slave trade wasn't affected, Jefferson didn't rest on the legislation, but sent American naval ships into the Atlantic and West African coasts to prevent slave smuggling into the United States. Of all the major politicians of the early republic, Paul Krauss writes, Jefferson was the most ardent anti-slavery leader in the new republic. He successfully lobbied for two laws that banned the slave trade, one for a state and the second for the country as a whole. He also authored laws that would prevent the expansion of slavery into new territories as the young country expanded westward. And as all know who have read his writings, he believed in gradual emancipation. So Jefferson's real record and legacy on slavery ensuring the future American Midwest would be a free land, his outlawing of the international slave trade, which undeniably limited the cruelty and expansion of slavery, and his ideals outlined in the Declaration of Independence, which motivated the civil rights movement, is not compatible with the view that America is evil and that all her institutions are tainted by slavery. Paul Krauss writes, as Jefferson's life shows, he fought against the expansion of slavery and prevented the corruption of the American institutions from slavery. States like Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota were all affected by Jefferson's Northwest Ordinance and entered the Union as free states. All were major supporters of the Union in the so-called Civil War and became America's backbone in the fights against totalitarianism in the 20th century. In arguing for the end of the slave trade, Jefferson showed real courage and set a precedent for Congress passing laws preventing the expansion of slavery, which would eventually lead to the end of slavery 60 years later. So what he's saying here is that the, our free republic owes much to Thomas Jefferson. And Jefferson's legacy shows the real story of American progress, an imperfect but good people fighting for liberty and continuing to fight for liberty and the expansion of liberty for all persons. But since the 1619 Project's narrative can't abide by this reality, Jefferson must go. And Jefferson must go because he, more than any other early figure in America, represents the goodness and idealism of the United States our republic, our self-governing democratic convictions, and the complex goodness of America. By eliminating Jefferson 
and only concentrating on Jefferson's personal ownership of slaves, clouds his real legacy and allows the narrative of American darkness and evil to take root and expand. Paul Krauss says Jefferson is and remains the essential figure whom critics of the 1619 Project and its misleading characterizations and its lies flock to in order to rebut it. If Jefferson is gone, then the 1619 Project is seemingly free from strong criticism. Why? Because no other founding father has such a record and legacy that repudiates the notion of American evil than Jefferson. And since his death, Americans who have advocated the advancement of liberty and equality have always stood on the shoulders of Jefferson. Andrew Jackson's war against central banking and expansion of voting rights was in the spirit of Jefferson. Abraham Lincoln saw himself in Jefferson's mold by wanting to preserve the Union and then abolish slavery. Franklin Roosevelt also saw himself in the Jeffersonian tradition and during the fight against totalitarianism in Europe and Asia, commissioned the Jefferson Monument as an eternal reminder of Jefferson's spirit of liberty, which the United States was now fighting to protect. Paul Krause says, Jefferson, until the past ten years, was a truly bipartisan figure. Limited government conservatives and libertarians cherished his views on federal government. Liberals and civil rights activists looked to Jefferson's commitment to personal liberty and his political idealism, however imperfect his own life was, as inspirational and aspirational. Democrats used to call their major dinner fundraising gatherings Jefferson-Jackson Day. Krauss says the war against Thomas Jefferson is simple to understand once you know the real Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson exposes the lies of the 1619 Project and its activists. If Jefferson stands, an America of liberty, equality, and goodness, despite the complexities of human existence, can be seen. If Jefferson falls, an America based on the lies of the 1619 Project can be imposed over the country. In other words, he's saying a free America cannot exist without Thomas Jefferson. And behind all the talk of freedom and equality by those who critique him... Their real motivation is to destroy the America of Liberty, so they target its chief architect. What a great story. What a great article. Again, from Paul Krause. It's linked in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Take a look for yourself. This is The Brian Hyde Show.